0: Welcome to The Commentary, a weekly conversation about vision, worship, and life at Grace Presbyterian Church. I'm Mark Bertrand, the pastor of Grace, and my fellow commenter in today's episode is Cameron Brooks. In this final episode of 2021, Cameron and I will talk about two guardrails to remember when it comes to doing in the Beatitudes how to approach the annual challenge of making New Year's resolutions and the beauty of gift giving at christmas
1: well pastor mark lately we've been moving to the beatitudes on sunday mornings and i've really been enjoying how you're handling the beatitudes because i i feel like over the years i've i've heard so many different interpretations of this sermon of Jesus and it can be really easy to get them wrong i guess and you've been careful to to make the proper distinctions along the way and to help us see that the beatitudes aren't first and foremost about like w- rules or laws something that we're supposed to do that it's more about what Jesus is giving to his disciples in this moment how he's describing the kingdom and a state of blessedness which we receive from God and his kingdom. You said two things in particular this last Sunday, though, that I wanted to unpack a little bit more. Because we did get to this point in the Beatitudes where you said, we're going to talk a little bit about doing now. Jesus seems to be suggesting to his disciples and to us that this is how you're supposed to act as you live in the kingdom. And you gave us a couple guidelines, though, some guardrails to start out. And if I remember rightly, they were the first one was that all all of our doing, all of our works should rest in the finished work of Christ. And on the other hand, all of our doing should be directed at others, should be focused on our neighbor. I, I thought those were really interesting and, and quite profound, actually.
0: I'm curious wh- where you got those and how you came to those conclusions, I guess? Well, I mean, like you, I'm really conscious of the fact that the Beatitudes, um, I mean, this is probably the most well known statement of Jesus. It's certainly the beginning of like his direct teaching ministry in Matthew's gospel. And it is so easy to get this stuff wrong. And so I'm conscious of that. And, and, and really trying not to get it wrong or at least to to get as little of it as, uh, wrong as I can and so i i realize that when we hear the beatitudes it's easy to jump directly to doing you know to to have almost like a moralistic interpretation where it sounds like jesus is telling us here's the stuff you need to do in order to be blessed or happy and in fact jesus is almost doing the opposite. I mean, he's not saying here's what you need to do. He's saying, you know, you are receiving the kingdom and here's what you're like. You know, that that the kind of people who find themselves receiving the kingdom have certain things in common. And we, you know, if we were summing it all up, we could say what they have in common is like an, an utter dependence upon God, like a sense that they do not have within themselves any merit or resource to rely on. And so they have to rely on God. And so naturally the analogy that Jesus uses, the metaphor is comparing that spiritual state to people in the physical world who experience that kind of dependence, yeah, poverty. Uh, yeah. The poor, the needy, the grieving, all of those conditions are meant to illuminate for us the spiritual state that, um, I don't want to say that we should aspire to, but the spiritual state where the good news of the kingdom really rings out. And so when we transition from, you know, being to doing, and, and you you do have to, I mean, clearly the Beatitudes have a doing component. I wanted to be sure that we were being careful not to say, okay, well, we, we've gotten all of, that out of the way. And now we can get to the main point, which is, here's what you should do. And so the guardrails, I think, just help remind us that although we're talking about doing, all of our doing is based on what Christ has already done. You know, our doing is based on his done. And it's a obedience that flows from gratitude for what Christ has done. Because again, the kingdom that Jesus is talking about isn't a kingdom you can earn. There's nothing you can do to get this kingdom. This is a kingdom that can only be received as a gift. And so we're not trying to, you know, do mercy so that we can receive mercy in some sort of quid pro quo, but rather having been forgiven, we are called to forgive. And it, it, the relationship is more like that. So that covers not just the idea that our action flows from Christ's action, but also that what we do should have a certain orientation, that everything on that list, including the stuff that seems internal, when you reflect on it, actually has this external component. And that's what I was calling a doing toward others, which you might think of as, you know, the golden rule, do unto others, but I say doing toward others because I want to speak more towards what we might call like a fundamental orientation of your actions. Like in what you do, you are thinking about the needs of others or you are taking on the affliction of others. As Calvin says in in the quote that I mentioned, uh, people who show mercy to others are people who are willing to, assume the cares of others and, and, and put on their afflictions almost like clothing and, and wear that themselves. You know, I make your suffering my suffering and take it that seriously. And so there's just a, a need for us, I think, to recognize that although Jesus is speaking about spiritual realities, fundamentally, those spiritual works are directed towards other people. We serve him by serving our fellow human beings. Yeah, those were some really
1: helpful guidelines and they, they honestly just reminded me of of when Jesus talks about the greatest commandment, when he's asked what is the greatest commandment and he says, you know, love the Lord, your God with all, all of your life and love your neighbor as yourself. and, it seems to me that if we were to completely rest in the finished work of Christ and act out of a gratitude for that, that is a form of loving and worshiping God. You know, when you're when you're trusting in Him and His promises, and then this loving this or this directed action toward others is a kind of loving towards others too. So,
0: a yeah, way you know, I think for people who are hearing this, uh, if if you're familiar with the Bible, you'll know this already. But but uh, some people you've heard that phrase, you know, love God and love your neighbor. And you may not realize that in its context, that is a summary of the law. Uh You know, that answer is given when the question is, you know, basically give me the law of God in a nutshell. And so ironically, it's not a New Testament answer. It's an Old Testament answer. It's in the Old Testament that we find that the, the sum of all of our uh, obligation is is to love God with our whole being and to love our neighbors as ourselves. And so, I think that it's it's good to know that everything that the Bible commands is like a a, a detail or a sub point under the heading of either loving God or or loving one another, and is meant to be loving. So so even when you're dealing with aspects of the law of God that you you don't understand. And you're like, I, I don't even get why this is important. It's going to fall under one of those two headings. It's, it's a way to love and serve God or a way to love and serve one another. Well, it's the end of the year. This is the last episode
1: of the year for the commentary. And this kind of relates to, to new year's resolutions. And are, are you a resolution type person?
0: I, not a keeping resolutions kind of person, (laughs) but sometimes a making resolutions kind of person against my better judgment. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Me Me too. I I used to
1: be vehemently against them, but in recent years I've come to see some, some value in setting goals, trajectories for the year, you know, but I, I think there's this tendency, at least in America for new year's resolutions to be very me focused and centered on kind of self-improvement or self individual goals. But I think that these guidelines could maybe help us if we are going to be resolution type people to reconsider what we want, say 2022 to look like. Yeah. And certainly as Christians, we, we should want the year to look, you know, in all of our doing, we should want to be resting and trusting in Christ and orienting our lives more towards others rather towards building myself up or my own kingdom.
0: Yeah, I, I'll never forget years ago, I was listening to an audiobook of Samuel Pepys diary, obviously an abridgment. Uh, Kenneth Branagh read it, and it is actually fascinating. But uh, this was a 17th century diarist, and every time his diary got to the end of the year, he would do this interesting thing where he kind of did a, a, a summary, uh, an accounting of how the past year had gone. He would uh, add up, you know, how much money he had versus how much he had at the beginning of the year and kind of weigh all this stuff. And I found it fascinating that for him, the reckoning was retrospective. Like it was looking back on the year mm. that had passed and kind of seeing how that had gone. Whereas for us, it's sort of like, um, you know, it's the beginning of the year. What 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 new thing am I going to do this year? And you're right that that oftentimes... It centers on self-improvement or self-development. And it would be interesting to see what would happen if we flipped that orientation a little bit and thought in terms of like a, a commitment or a resolution to do for others, to, to make some sort of an impact on others in the year to come. I think that would be a very you know, Christ-like reorientation of, of that Typical thing. Even, you know, I think even as, as devout Christians facing that idea of New Year's resolutions, oftentimes the resolutions we might come up with are, okay, well, I'm going to be better at reading my Bible. You know, I'm going to pray more. I'm going to be, you know, more disciplined at, uh, giving, you know, I, I'm, I, I look over the past year and I, I only, you know, got up to 9% and this year I'm going to get uh-huh. to 11% or, you know, whatever it is, uh, but really all of that is about myself, you know, and, and, uh, how I can improve my standing spiritually. If we were to look around us at the needs that exist and ask ourselves how we might make an impact in those areas, I think that would be a profitable way to prepare for this year to come. And, and it reminds me of something else too, Cameron, that, um, If we're going to start thinking about the people all around us, a good way to think about other people is to think of them in terms of family. At our Advent party, I made this point that Jesus on the cross does something fascinating when he sees his mother Mary, he sees John, the beloved disciple, and he says to Mary, you know, behold your son, and to John, behold your mother. And we're told that after that, John took marry into his household, like as a member of his family. And it's a striking metaphor for the way that when we are in Christ and we enter into his church, people who are strangers before, who don't share a family background, who have no blood connection, suddenly become family. And that has a lot of practical implications for us as well. And, and as we go into the Christmas holidays and and look at the year to come, I think it's helpful to think practically about what that means. Because if it's true that God is making us into a family, then practically speaking, one of the things we want to do is make room at our tables for these new family members. You know, we have to make room for this family to grow that doesn't just mean that when uh, new people come to church, we should say hi to the, them and introduce ourselves. That's true. But <laughs> but uh, fortunately, that's not something, you know, we struggle with a lot at Grace. But But one thing it means beyond that is making room in your life for people who weren't part of your life before, so that when people enter into the life of the church, they're also entering into the lives of, the people who are already there, that we're making room for them in our lives. And, and I think that's especially good during the Christmas season because don't you think Christmas is a time when, like, blood family has a tendency to close ranks? You know, for better or worse, yeah. you're going to be with family, family mm-hmm. at this time of the year, and, and maybe it feels like there's, there's not room for people who, who aren't part of that.
1: Yeah. You know, I do feel that. And, and it's, it's kind of a tension because I certainly love my family and, and most of my family members, blood family members are Christians too. So we can genuinely celebrate the, the meaning of Christmas together and it feels rich for that reason. But I also acknowledge that there's this other family, which is my grace family and we're all kind of like celebrating Christmas separately. Um, So yeah, I, I mean, I guess I try to do both around this time if possible. It certainly does feel like the default mode maybe is to you know, you're gonna spend time with grandma or you're gonna go you're gonna be with your blood family and your relatives. And sometimes I, I wonder what would it look like if the default wasn't that? What if the default was we're gonna we're gonna be feasting and celebrating for all of these holidays with the family of Christ.
0: Yeah, and of course, it, I mean, it doesn't have to be either or, mm-hmm. right? you can have both of those things. Uh, this episode is going to be coming out on Christmas Eve. And so this evening, if you're listening on the day that it comes out, this evening we're going to be having our annual lessons and carols service at Grace. And so you can attend that, and it's a great way to be with your church family, and you can bring your physical blood family along with you. My in-laws are hopefully going to be there. Yeah. 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 So it's, it's a good, you know, overlap between those things. But, but one thing I want to point out and, and get people thinking about is the fact that, you know, in a church, and certainly this is true for us, you've got some people who are, you know, living far away from their families, you know, who have relocated here from far away and, and won't be able to travel back to, wherever home is, um, there are people who are estranged from their families for a variety of reasons. And um, I think, you know, we always just want to have a place at the table for, for those people as well. You know, that, that uh, in the body of Christ, we have different situations, but we're all brought together into this great uh, collection of brothers and sisters Of Jesus. And so one of the ways I think to live that out is to just think, you know, in terms of doing toward others, to just think in terms of making room for making strangers part of your family. Since we are talking about Christmas, I just want to bring up uh, one more thing, uh, which is gift-giving. I know that it is fashionable for pastors to lament the fact that Christmas has become so commercialized, so consumeristic, and that instead of celebrating the reason for the season, we're just really fixated on the idea of getting stuff, and I'm no exception. I mean, those things definitely do uh, trouble me as well. However, in that cultural commentary, I don't want to lose sight of the fact that there is something really important about the idea of gift giving. It is central to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so rather than trying to turn the tide and say, hey, we're, we're doing Christmas all wrong. We, we need to change everything. I think I just want to suggest maybe we could look at the significance of all this gift giving a little bit differently. Right, That there's something really gracious and and wonderful about the way that God gives gifts to us. You know, obviously, Salvation in Jesus Christ is a a free gift, something that is given to us. We don't earn it. We don't deserve it. And it is the quintessential gift that is only received and never earned. But really, everything that God does in his relationship as creator to his creation is a kind of gift. He gives us the beauty of the earth. He gives us the, the gift of ability the gift of you know industry the gift of like everything that we see around us is a gift from god a good thing that he's given us despite our not having earned it and so i think that there's a real reason to delight in gift giving and and to be a delightful giver of gifts especially during the christmas season yeah you know i
1: mean speaking of cliches to, to call Jesus like the greatest gift of all, you yes. know, the, the nativity is kind of like the top of the list, but, but it's true. You know, there, there, of course it, it is absolutely true that the birth of Christ to the world, Emmanuel, God with us is the greatest gift of all. And, and we can laugh at that and it, it, it certainly can become commonplace, but like you said, there's, there's something to it that shouldn't be lost. And, and I certainly think that the more I reflect on that, And the more it sinks in, the more I want to give gifts, the more I want to be generous because when you have, when you, when you acknowledge, when you realize that you've been given something so great, you know, I mean, what else can you do but, but give back and try to, to bless other people. So. Yeah. I mean, I certainly agree. I was going to say one other thing. Oh, this gets back to how we started the conversation about the kingdom of God itself mm-hmm. being a, a gift that we, we don't bring on the kingdom. We don't earn the kingdom certainly through our actions, but that God gives the kingdom and, and that too is a cause for rejoicing.
0: Yeah. I think that's, that's also maybe the the big difference, right? Between Jesus as gift giver and the sort of gift giving that we're accustomed to. Because like if you if you follow the logic of the song, we should all be concerned whether or not we we were good this past year. You mm-hmm. know, if we were on the naughty list, if if we uh misbehaved, then Santa will know, right? He knows yeah. if we've been naughty or nice and, and whether, you know, we've earned our presence, so to speak. And and that's the difference because as far as Jesus is concerned, we're all on the naughty list. <laughs> and yet, we receive this free gift of grace regardless. And so, again, I think there's there's a, a a reason to celebrate the fact that that despite everything that we've lost touch with and despite the way that 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 so much of the richness of the Christmas season is is filtered out, in the way that we do Christmas commercially these days, there is still something there that's, that's preserved. Some, some aspect of the exuberance of grace is preserved. And I think that's something good and definitely something that, that rather than as Christians kind of standing on the sidelines and, and being critical, I just want to celebrate this season and be joyous and rejoice at all of the gifts that God has given us, in particular the gift of His Son, Jesus Christ. That's all the time we have for now. Thanks for listening. This is our final episode of 2021, but the commentary will be back in mid-January. Until then, if you've enjoyed the commentary, you can rate us on your favorite podcast app and share episodes with your friends on social media. You can subscribe to the commentary on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Stitcher. To find out more about us online, visit graceforsufalls.org.